Have you ever been in a conversation when someone posed this question to you? Can you see what I'm saying? You think about it. Just think about those words. It really doesn't make sense. Can you see what I'm saying? It's quite a novel concept, but it's actually possible. I'm teaching our team at the moment how to see with your ears. As followers of Jesus, we can enter into a dimension of living where we can actually see what God is saying to us. So we've started this series called Hearing God, and that's our focus over the next few weeks. I'm here today to tell you, no matter how long you've been following the Lord, no matter how old you are, no matter what your background, I'm going to tell you something. God speaks to people. Can somebody say amen? God speaks to people. It was uh, the the great man of God, A.W. Tozer. I'm going to put the quote on the screen because it so impacted me. He said, the facts are that God is not silent. God is not silent. He's never been silent. I want you to catch this. It is the nature of God to speak. It's the nature of God to speak. And over these next few weeks, we're going to talk a lot about God speaking, but more than that, us listening. Jesus made this profound statement in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on, read it with me, but on Every word that comes from the mouth of God. Every word. We're going to unpack this a little more as we share this morning, but that word, word, in the the Greek, has two particular words that we translate back into English as word, logos, which means written word, and rhema, which means the revealed word. And when Jesus said that man shall not live on bread alone but by every word, he's actually speaking about the revealed word when, we, when he, he literally puts light on stuff, when, when stuff awakens to our heart. That's what helps you keep on keeping on. That's what helps you live a great life that's filled with his goodness, his power and his presence. Anybody up for that today? Yeah. So we're going to go back to the Old Testament today and we're going to look at a guy called... Habakkuk. He's a minor prophet. I'm sure he, you know, in heaven there's probably a conversation. How come you were minor and I was major? But that's their problem. They can sort that out. His name is Habakkuk. And uh, if you're in America, he'd be called Habakkuk. It's okay for them to get wrong. They always put the emphasis on the wrong syllable and that's not my issue. <laughs> Habakkuk. Habakkuk. And, and his little book has just got, for us these days, three chapters, three short chapters, and we're going to unpack each of them because each chapter has a profound message. It actually shows us, I think, for many of us, a spiritual journey. Chapter 1. Habakkuk begins a conversation with God, but in reality, he's complaining. In reality, some of our prayer that we call petition is actually whinging, <laughs> complaining, telling God that, God, you don't understand. How many of you use this word? No, actually, we shouldn't, have, we shouldn't raise hands. It's probably the person beside you who's used these words in prayer. It's not fair. How come, God? 
You've never told God that he doesn't love you. You've never told God that it's not fair that someone's being blessed, but you know, you're not. I know you've never done that, but let's just for a moment think about the people that do that. <laughs> Habakkuk's very upset. He's hearing injustice and seeing injustice all around him, and things and life seems out of control. Does this sound familiar to anybody? Ever watched the six o'clock news? Ever rolled your eyes at the moment with, with youth crime? Stuff that's going on in our community? Well, spare a thought. That's a micro taste of what Habakkuk was experiencing. Here's how the, here's how the book starts. We, we'll go to verse 2 of, of, uh, of chapter 1 and verse 2 and 3. How long? Oh, you, you know this is going to be a great prayer. How long? Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Men? Ever been accused of that? How, how, how long do I have to speak? How long do I have to ask for help and you don't listen or cry out to you? Violence. But you don't save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why? <laughs> this is called prayer. Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. I have a question for you. Do, do you think that the issue may not be that God's not listening, but that we're not hearing? It may not be that he's not speaking. It may not be that he's not listening. It may be that I'm talking too much and I'm not hearing what God wants to say to my own life. And today I want to take you on a journey. Because some of our prayer life has just been filled with problems. We turn up with lists. Most of them are complaints. How long, God? How long do I have to wait for you to do this, 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 this and this? I know you're old, but you're very slow. God. And he continues to pour his heart out and continues to make complaint after complaint. But then we come to chapter 2. Chapter 2 is where the heart of the book is. Because Habakkuk starts with complaints, but then he somewhat comes to his senses and he makes a decision. How many know that all of our life really hinges off the decisions we make? Not our genetic code or our postcode. Our decisions. Habakkuk makes a decision. You'll read it in verse 1 of chapter 2. Here's his decision. And here is the decision that God is calling us as a people to. This is a season for us as a church. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. Here, catch this line. I will look to see what he will say to me. And what answer I am to give to this complaint. I will look to see what he will say to me. He's learning to hear, not only with his ears, he's learning to see with his ears and, and, and hear with his eyes. There's, his senses are awakened to the, to the word of God, to the presence of God, to the instruction of God. I will stand at my watch and I'm going to see 
what he will say to me. That's the season we're in, church. It's to say, I'm actually going to set time aside. I'm going to start my day by seeking the Lord, not just coming to him and whinging about what I saw on the news and whinging about the neighbours, complaining about my kids. I'm going to stand and I'm going to see what he will say to me because I'm not going to live on bread alone. Breakfast and lunch isn't going to get me through this day. I need the revealed word of God to feed my soul and guide me through these challenges that I'm facing. I'm going to stand on my watch and I'm going to see what he will say to me. Here's what he did. Here's what God is calling you to do. Position yourself. Say it with me. Position yourself. That's what he's calling us to do right now. That's what this season's all about. Positioning. You want another word for it? Posturing. Posturing ourselves in worship, in prayer, ready to see what God will say to us. Learning to see with our ears. Here's something I want you to catch. When God speaks, it's so clear, you can see it. This season is all about posturing, positioning, getting ready to see what he will say to me. That's why we're encouraging our church family right now to build altars of devotion in our hearts and homes. One of the last things Lynn and I did last night, just as we about to close our eyes and go to sleep, is we prayed over you and we prayed over our family, we prayed over situations. And even this morning as we woke, we noticed already answers to prayer. Build altars. Start your day with prayer. Start your day with devotion. But I'm too busy. Let me tell you something. If you are too busy to spend time with the Lord, you're too busy. Oh, you have no idea how busy I am rushing off to work. Can I ask you, what was the end of your day like the night before? Binging on stuff? On screens? Come on, this is a season of posturing. I'm saying this to you as your spiritual leader, father in the faith, whoever you want to call me, your pastor. I'm saying, come on, people. God is taking his people into a beautiful and deep place, but he wants us first to make decisions to position ourselves. Start your Early will I seek you. Have your shift worker, find a part of the day when you can just set time aside for nothing but you and the Lord. If you can, get yourself a paper Bible. And by the way, just in case you didn't know, it's okay to highlight and write in it. Amen. Just in case. And you think, whoa, yes. <laughs> touching the holy thing. It's okay. Okay, write in it. I, there are so many things. I've got a study Bible that I've actually had since the day Lynn and I came to lead this church. Over 23 years. There are things in it I go, oh, I remember what God spoke to me. It, it's somewhere around Acts 15. And it's in the top right-hand corner. And I made a note there. And I come back to it. I know, listen, I know the Bible's on, on electronic devices. I get that. But can I tell you, there are lots of distractions on those electronic devices as well. And, and we start... We start out reading the Bible and next thing where we're on Instagram. Come on. Let, let, let's literally dedicate time to him and him alone. Get yourself a journal. Start journaling. Uh, you don't have to write profound things. It's for no one else but you and the Lord. You're not here to, you know, write some deep, meaningful treatise on something. Just... just, just just begin to pen down the things he's beginning to speak to your heart about. 
And you watch what happens. I'm going to take you on a journey understanding this. Because when God speaks, look what happens. God begins to speak. Remember how Habakkuk starts? Moaning and groaning. Then God begins to speak. There's four things I want you to notice out of this book that are really, really important. We're going to give them to you over and over today. The Lord replied, write. Say write. Write down the revelation. Some versions say the vision. It's the same word. See, I actually have this profound thought that God speaks in pictures. Pictures come out of his mouth. He's creative. I mean, who else would have invented the emu? Wallaby. A rhino. He spoke it into being. Write down that revelation, that vision. Write down what he has shown you and make it plain. It might seem profound, but write it down and when you do it, you'll understand it. Write it on tablets so the herald may run with it. Now catch this. This is important. The first verse we just read, verse 2, says write. The second one says wait. For the revelation awaits for an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. For it will certainly come and it will not delay. I want you to look at those two big words. Write. And wait. Write it down. When God begins, this is why I'm really encouraging you. Just go and spend a couple of dollars at a store and just get something where you can begin to write what God is saying, especially during this very, very significant and, dare I say it, defining time here at Hope Center. Begin to write it. I need to write it because I, I often need time to process what he's saying to me. There are things God said to me five or six years ago that are only now beginning to come to pass. There are times that I need to just write it down so I can actually prayerfully meditate on what was he really saying to me. Write it down. Write it down because sometimes what he gives you is just one jigsaw puzzle piece. And you write it down and in, in isolation it's like, whoa. I know too many Christians that have run off just on that one jigsaw puzzle piece. Have you ever found a lost jigsaw puzzle piece and go, oh, look, the barrier reef? No, it's just a tiny piece of the puzzle. You need to put all the pieces together before you get the big picture of what he's saying to you. Write it down and as you, oh, oh, now I see what he's been saying to me. Write it down. And then... <laughs> This isn't my strong point. Wait. Thank you for those of you who are still praying for me to have patience. Still taking way too long. Wait. This is, this is another reason why you need to write it. Because sometimes we forget. But more importantly, when we write it, we can go back and it's a reference point to what God spoke to us. And though it tarry, some versions say, although it takes time, just wait for it. God does not feel any pressure to keep your timetable. Somehow, every now and then I think, he thinks he's God. Yes. <laughs> exactly. But if he's spoken, here's what I've found about God. He doesn't lie. And I've also found that his timing is perfect. His timing is perfect. So write it down. Write it down, read it, write it, wait. I've been waiting so long. Here's what I'm here today to tell you. 
Delay is not denial. Delay is not denial. Oh, Lynn and I learnt this in a profound way over 23 years ago, 24 years ago to be quite precise. Our journey was, was interesting, as most of you know. We led a, a ministry in our nation which was seeing hundreds of thousands of kids turn to Jesus. It's called Youth Alive. And I got into my 40s. I came to the end of the last century. Remember that? Y2K, we're still here, people. And some of you have still got dried fruit you're eating from all those days ago. We stored it up. We survived. Hey, we went into the year 2000. As we're moving into this new century, God began to speak to my heart about a shift. I knew there was a shift coming. And, and, and sometimes with the shift, there's frustration. Anybody know about frustration? Frustration. My, my dear old dad used to say to me, Mate, frustration is one of God's best prophets. He tells you there's change coming. He tells you there's change. You know, you go, what? what? How come? You, you don't even know why you're not happy with stuff. It, it's, it's a shift in your heart. Seasons are changing. God's beginning to do a work on your heart. And I began to get frustrated, began to sense that God was saying something to my heart, wasn't quite sure what it was, and then out of the blue, An offer came to lead a significant church in our nation. It was a good church. It was a big church. had nice facilities. I thought, you know what? I've spent the best part of two decades working with teenagers. I deserve this. If you've eaten youth camp food for a decade and a half, you'll know what I'm talking about. I thought, this is cool. I'm going, wow. And I started to strut around a little bit. You wouldn't have seen it on the outside, but the rooster tail was pretty high on the inside. Who the man, I used to say in the mirror. <laughs> you are. <laughs> you deserve this. It was in that season that I learned to hear, to see what he will say and write, and dare I say it, wait. Because soon after it was intimated, I... I it was intimated that we were going to lead this ministry. I'd preached there. People got saved. In hindsight, I look back. Oh, I was arrogant. I wouldn't admit it then. It's probably the first time I've admitted to actually to anybody. This is a safe place, hey? What happens in the room stays in the room. I thought, I've got this. And somebody came and made an appointment to come and meet me in the Youth Alive office. And they sat down. I was kind of ready. I knew they were coming, so I was dressed really well. Like a senior pastor who's just left youth ministry would dress. They come in, they sit there, and they start with this sermonette. And I'm kind of waiting for him to say, and the winner is you, Wayne Alcorn, you're going to get this church. And he said, you know, we've just come to the conclusion that we don't really need a youth evangelist. We need somebody who cares for people and who's pastoral. And so we're going to give the ministry to someone else. Alrighty then. <laughs> oh, happy day. Fantastic. Yeah. And he wanted to keep preaching and I just wanted him to leave. <laughs> so I just said, you know, I've heard what you came to say, my friend. In fact, you know, this conversation just ended. So let me t tell you what I just heard. You've told me that I'm not going to lead that church. He said, no, correctly. That's, that's true. Said, okay. But it was in that moment that God began to not only deal with my heart, but speak to my heart.
it was interesting. Apparently, I was fun to live with for a little while. Um, don't look at Lynn. <laughs> don't even look at her. But as I began to seek the Lord, I talk, talk about frustration, and, and some, I'm speaking to something today. You, you actually worked out, you, you'd worked out what God wanted to give you, to do for you, you'd worked it out, and you'd already told him what it looked like. Been there, done that one, and then it doesn't happen. Here's what you've got to do. You can either get, either get mad at him, shake your fist at the air, or, or you can actually humble your heart. And stop, position yourself to see what he will say to you. And then when the word of the Lord takes a grip on your heart, things go to another level. You're no longer moved by what you see. You're moved by what you know. I'm going to say that again. When the word of the Lord comes to your heart, you're no longer moved by what you see. You're not moved by the state of the family. You're not moved by the state of your business. You're not moved by the, or the state of the medical report. You're moved by what you know. You know You know that God is your healer. You know that God is your peace. You know that God is your provider. Even though the facts are saying something different through here, something's happened here because it went in here, into here, and you're seeing it. Whoa. That's what happened to us. Then a phone call came. I still remember it. Talk about frustration. I just knew that that youth era was over. I'd, nearly, I'd reached about 42 years of age, kind of thought, no, that, that era's done, done it for 20 years. Thank God for it. Wonderful. Something's happening. And I couldn't work out what it was. Most weekends I'm flying away to go and reach other people's teenagers when my own kids were growing up without a dad every weekend and I was starting to get so angry and so stirred. I'd drive down that airport drive with tears coming down my face going, God, I hate this. Then somebody came to me one day and said, did you hear that that church in the valley, Glad Tidings, needs a new pastor? I said, yeah, I heard about it. He said, we think you're going to go there. And I still remember, talk about arrogance, I said, listen to me, I will never go there. (laughs) That evening, this is what the Lord said to me, ready? Talk about hearing from God, this is what he said to me, it was so kind, never say never to me. Never say never to me. And then we started conversations with some friends and some of them are still in the room here today. We sense God begin to grip our heart for this church in Fortitude Valley that was surrounded by broken humans. You know, broken people are everywhere. Some it's just really, really obvious. That's what Fortitude Valley was like in the year 2000. And then I had some friends as we began this conversation. Lynn and I had a witness in our heart. That's where we got to go and spend the next major season of our life. I had some friends say, you're not going to glad tidings, mate. Really? And they began to mock it. So that's a church with a glass ceiling. You can never raise a church beyond and they gave numbers and this is the problem and that's what that's the problem. And this is what began to stir in my heart. As people began to criticise this church, which had only just started out, I found myself defending it because something was already in my heart. And I said, hey, listen to me. It's not what it is, it's what it will be in Jesus' name. We, we sense God at work and thank God the journey's been absolutely amazing. 
For Habakkuk, despite the Babylonians running rampant in his world, faith began to rise in his heart in response to the promise of God. Even before anything had changed, promises started to flow. I'm I'm living on this promise right now. It's a promise that comes straight from chapter 2 of Habakkuk. Look at verse 14. I love this. I'm holding on to it. For the earth will be filled. Someone's got to get excited when we read this. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory. Let me tell you, the, the, the earth is filled with the glory of God. But what, what God said to Habakkuk, he said, let me tell you something. The whole earth will be filled with the knowledge. People will begin to see it. We'll begin to see the handiwork of the creator, the grace and the mercy and the kindness of our saviour. The whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Oh my goodness, I wish I had a little bit of Martin Luther King in me today. Mine eyes have seen the glory. Come on. I'm a, come on. I, something happens in your heart. I don't believe that Brisbane has yet discovered the reality of that, that the whole earth, the whole city, and Morton and Logan and Ipswich and Redlands, this whole region, that people will begin to get an understanding of the glory of the Lord. Not moved by what I see. 6 p.m. news, it saddens me, but it doesn't determine my state of heart, mind, doesn't say that the church has got to back it off. No, no, we've got to rise up. We've got to rise and shine. For our light has come. We've got something to do in Jesus' name. So our journey, I began to write. In fact, even before we arrived here, I began to write. And some of the elders that were in the room with us in those first few months remember coming to a meeting and I began to share things that God put on my heart. When we thought we were going to the other church, I saw this model that had five expressions of it from a central base, north, south, east, west. As the journey unfolded, we've discovered that there are five cities that make up what you would call Greater Brisbane. Don't tell Logan we called it Greater Brisbane. They have a fit. It's okay. Um, it's, greater, it's the greater region here in southeast Queensland. We realise that God is calling us to put a ministry, put a campus in each of those five cities, put a net across the whole region. Began to speak to us about community transformation, mission down the road and around the globe. And some of those things have become a reality. See, having seen it, I could write it. And honestly, as this journey's unfolded as a church, we've actually been waiting. Not everything's happened yet. But here's what I can tell you God is faithful even in the waiting. Little outflows of His goodness and His kindness. You see it, you see it, you see it. Here's what waiting requires. Conviction. Because delay can be wearying. Some people here today in the room and online, you're wearied by the waiting. You're wearied by... And you know what's going to get you through this? Conviction. Conviction. The Apostle Paul encourages us from the the life of Abraham... Abraham, as you know, gets a promise from God that God's going to do amazing things. And what did he have to do? Wait two decades. Wait two decades for it to become a reality. And then Paul writes the Roman church, chapter 4, and and he celebrates the example of this great man of God. Says of him in verse 20, he did not waver. Well, I want somebody to receive this today. He did not waver through unbelief. 
You know what can happen in the waiting? We get wearied or we begin to waver. And when you start to waver, you know what you open the door to? Unbelief. But it says of Abraham, he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Here it is, verse 21, being fully persuaded. Say persuaded. Being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. Whoa. You know, Abraham said, God, you gave me a word. I was in my mid-70s. I'm looking down the barrel of a century. You gave me a promise. And I'm not going to waver. Because here's what I do know. You are faithful. You don't change. You don't tell lies. I'm I'm holding on to that promise. I have a persuasion. Somebody in this room is holding on to a promise for a miracle. Someone in this room is holding on to promise of provision. God does not tell lies. Don't waver. So the big question must be, how do, I, how do I actually hear from God? How do I see the miracle become a reality in my life? Well, do, do, what, do what Habakkuk did. Position himself. Position yourself, and I want you to, we're going to wrap this in a moment. Find yourself in places, spaces, and moments where you will hear his voice. That's his promise. Listen to the words of Jesus. John chapter 10. This is an interesting verse. My sheep listen to my voice. This is what he said. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. Here's how he knows them. They're the listeners. They listen to me. He says, I know them and they follow me. So perhaps discipleship is about fellowship and fellowship's about listening. 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 God wants to speak to you. How? Where? Well, from the Bible. Novel concept. Here's what I'm here today to tell you we need to all do. Are you ready? Christians, even those on a journey of faith, you still might be on a journey. Can I I give you the best piece of advice I can give you today? Read your Bible. Who would have thought? Read your Bible. The Bible is the only book on the planet that promises every time you open the pages, the author will turn up. Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to give you light. You just got to say, I'm opening it today. Help me show me. Psalmist in Psalm 119 spoke of the word of God. He said, your word is a lamp for my feet. A lamp for my feet. God, you're going to show me right here. You're going to help me begin to see my circumstances where I am now. But it's more than that. You're a light for my path. You're going to give me direction for my future. Thank God for that. The Logos. That Greek word, that, that written word. You know, I get some people who are, oh, you know, I'm reading the Bible and I've heard this whole concept, the Greek words, logos, rhema. I'm not sure whether it's a logos or rhema. Let me tell you about the logos and rhema. Most things in the Bible are just plain and clear. You don't need a revelation from God to understand, do not murder. <laughs> Love your neighbour as yourself. It's, it's really, really clear. And you can just follow that and live a great life. But then there comes moments, and this is why we need to be reading and praying, because the Holy Spirit wants to enlighten our hearts to things that are very personal 
and specifically apply often to our own circumstances. I remember the call of God to my life. I was a preacher's kid, didn't want to be a preacher. Every preacher I knew was fat and poor, and I go, I'm not doing that. <laughs> not doing that. Told my father he prophesied over me when I was totally away from God at 17. I laughed in his face. And then one day God gives me this word. Out of John chapter 15, verse 16. This is the commissioning verse. This is the rhema. This is what God said to me. You didn't choose me. <laughs> so stop acting as though I need you. You didn't choose me. This verse gripped my heart. It was like the moment. It was like I was just taken. You didn't choose me. I chose you. And I ordained you to bear much fruit. Fruit that remains. That's my commissioning call. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. 40-something years later, I had received a word from God. You read it. You just begin to read his Bible. It comes alive. You, in worship, you get in his presence. I want you just to know, in case we've not had a lot of time together in, in, in your journey or part of this church, you'll see me from time to time pick up my phone during worship. I'm not doing social media. and I'm very, very, very rarely texting somebody. You know what I'm doing? In worship, I get into the, pre the presence of the creator and creative thoughts begin to download in my heart. So what I do is I just begin to put it. I, I've, got a, I've got a thing this in, in, my, in my phone where I just begin to put down things God puts in my heart. And sometimes we do some things in church life and people go, that was amazing. Yeah, it happened in a moment when God dropped something in my heart in a worship song. So, 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 so get into his presence. Okay, choose the atmospheres you find yourself in. The Bible says he inhabits the praises of his people. You begin to worship God, you'll begin to find him speaking to your heart in worship. Right, the Bible, worship, ready for this one? Community. Read the book of Acts, chapter 2. They're in the temple and they're in houses. Having true community. You get into company with people, that have got the word of God in their heart. This morning I started just reading Psalm 1. Hey, his word around good people, you're set up for a win. In fact, you know, my life has been profoundly changed more often by things that have come over a coffee table than even come over a pulpit. You get around the right people. Things start to happen in your heart. You get into, under the influence of preaching. You ever been that person that's gone up to preach and said, you know something, you came today and you preached... It felt like I was the only one in the room. Anybody ever felt that? I've had some people accuse me, say, what did you know about me before you came to this church? Because you preached straight at me. I said, I don't even know who you are, my friend, but God does. And I was carrying something that I no doubt is a word for your heart and your circumstance. Prophecy. You get into environments, that's when the prophetic voice would come. Bible says don't despise prophecy. But it, but it also says you should judge it. I know people that have got divorced because they got one prophecy. True. They've got up and they've taken their family and they've moved to the other side of a country or the world on one prophecy. The Bible actually tells us that's not what should happen. Read Paul's letters to the Corinthian church. It says every word that we get in prophecy should actually be judged or measured against two or three witnesses. What's the witness? Firstly, that thing that's in your heart. Secondly, what's on the page in the Bible. There it is again. Secondly, what leaders say. 
There's something profound in being under good covering. People that care for you. Other prophecies, it's got to all line up. Not some random thing way off in, like, out in some other crazy zone. Let me tell you, some things you thought were prophecy was either pizza or hormones. (laughs) Smile back at me. People do, people go off on one thing. No, 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 no. God, hear me, God is not the author of confusion. If there's a prophecy coming your way, it will line up with things he's already been saying to your heart. Pastors are preaching it, other prophets are affirming it, and it agrees with the Bible. God's never going to say, go kill your father. I'm being extreme just to make a point. So prophecy. So in community, and here's the last thought, you'll hear from God in your own personal prayer life. Your prayer life is a conversation. So, so perhaps if, if conversation means sometimes I speak and sometimes I listen, here's a big thought. Maybe my prayer life sometimes needs to have less words in it and just wait in his presence to listen what he will say. Hear, see, write, wait. Hear, see, write, wait. Habakkuk does that. And then we come to chapter 3. And you see the benefits of him outworking that in his life. He hears from God. He's got a word in his life. He's no longer under the circumstances. You hear me say this a lot. Too many people, you ask me, how are you? I'm okay under the circumstances. I said, well, get above it. Be under the influence of his Holy Spirit. Be under the influence of the word of God. Be under the influence of, of a community that care for you. He's received the word of God. And for that reason, his, everything about him changes. His demeanor and even his conversation. Listen to what he makes this bold declaration. It's one of my favorite parts of, of most of the Old Testament. Is here in Habakkuk 3, verse 17 and 19. I've quoted it many, many times. This is what he says. Remember, he starts off whinging. Everything's horrible. God, you don't listen, you don't care. He's heard from God. He's seen what God's saying. He begins to write it down. Hasn't happened yet, but this is what he makes. He comes to this conclusion. And somebody in this room, somebody watching this right now, needs to come to this conclusion. You ready? Verse 17. Though the fig tree doesn't build, doesn't bud. There's no grapes on the vine. No, the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. In other words, everything is empty, dry, broken, sad. Woe is me. No. Yet will I, what, rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. He was no longer moved by what he saw. He was moved by what he knew. And he knew what he knew because he'd seen what he'd heard. This is how to live. Starts out by complaining. And he ends up worshipping. From whinger to worshipper. What was the catalyst? What was the difference? God had spoken to him. He'd, he'd positioned himself. Come on, stand.